Welcome to the Hope Fellowship Podcast, where you can listen to our weekly walk through the Bible. We do hope you enjoy your time with us today. Please check us out at hopehogesville.com. And if you feel led to support our ministry, please click the link in this episode's description. Now here's this week's walk through the Bible. Acts chapter 3, verse 1 through 16. Let's read that together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But Peter saw this. He replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So this story begins with uh, Peter and John going up to the temple to pray. And uh, they were at the, it was the hour of prayer and they were going up to the temple. Chances are there were a whole lot of people going to the temple here at this point of the day. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb, meaning that from the time that he was born, he was lame. Uh, now, we don't know exactly what kind of lameness. We know that in, uh, in a few verses, as we read the healing take place, his ankles and his feet were strengthened, and that gave him the ability to walk. So something was wrong with at least his ankles and his feet. And I imagine that if he had been lame since the time that he was born, and if he was an adult at this point, begging alms in the temple, begging for money, Uh, His legs were probably atrophied and extremely weak, and it would have been impossible for him to stand and to walk or to jump or to leap uh, for any any of those types of things. So this man, uh, lame from the time that he was born, was uh, there at the temple begging for what Scripture calls alms. He was begging for money. That was his livelihood. He was asking for provision. 
A few things to note about this man was that, one, he couldn't help himself. Uh, all he could do was beg. All he could do was ask. He couldn't work. He couldn't provide from his, for himself. He was completely dependent on everyone else around him to help him out. Um, something else to note here, too, in case, you know, considering that there is a miracle that takes place with this man, um, is that uh, this wasn't just some rando person that nobody knew that claimed to have had an illness that all of a sudden miraculously was healed by this man, Peter, who was promoting himself as a miracle worker at this point in time. So this wasn't some random person that was used by a con man in order to manipulate the people. Everybody knew who this guy was. Everybody knew that this guy was the one who had been lame from birth. Everybody knew he was lame from the time that he was born. And people had recognized him as the one who was daily being brought to the temple by his friends or his family members and laid at the gate where everybody was passing through the temple with their monies and with their offerings in hopes that as people were being generous or coming to the temple with a heart of generosity, they might see him and have compassion on him and maybe give him a little money to support him and to keep him alive, considering he couldn't do that for himself. So I think that's a little bit of a testament to the fact that this was not rigged. This was not a setup. All right. This was a very genuine and real miracle. So you'll notice if you keep reading in verse two, it says a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter and John along uh, Peter and uh, excuse me, Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us, look at us. So Peter called out to the man. Uh, the man was calling out saying, please give me money, alms, alms, alms for the poor, whatever he might have been saying, please give me some money. But uh, Peter saw him, took notice of him, and Peter cried out to the, man and, to the man and said, pay attention to us, look at me, look at me, I have something to say to you. Pay attention. And the man, upon hearing that, he focused on Peter and he thought that he was probably going to receive money or he was going to receive bread or he was going to receive some kind of a gift to help him out. But what he received was something completely different. Now, as we walk through this, what I want to um, notice is that this isn't just a random uh, miracle. Uh, it is a miracle. We kind of see that this person was well known and God did perform this miracle in this man. But this wasn't just something that was thrown in there. There's a purpose and there's a reason for it. We're going to kind of get to that. But it's all part of God's uh, message that he is preaching to all these people that are gathered around and bearing witness to the power of God. God is putting on display his resurrection power, his ability to heal and his ability to save. Now, if you put this in the context, Peter has already been preaching about calling upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ 
unto salvation. He preached the gospel. People were convicted in their hearts, and they asked, what should we do about it? Peter says, repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. And so this message was being preached. People were being saved. The assembly of the church was gathering together. The power of God was working among the church. He was creating unity. He was creating love. They were sharing with each other. And there were miracles that were continuing to take place through the apostles. But if you continue reading past this, we continue to read of Peter preaching the same gospel and calling people to repent again. Again, hear the, hear the story of Jesus. See the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Repent and be saved. So this is all an illustration. Now, it's not Peter's illustration. It's God's sermon illustration. God is at work here. And so when we consider that, you begin to see some parallels in this story of a lame man being healed. When you consider this, our own story and our own sinful and broken and disabled heart. You see some parallels between that man's healed legs and our healed hearts. This becomes a picture of how we are saved out of the disability of our depravity. We are born in sin and capable of saving ourselves. But notice this, this man could not get up and go to God. This man could not get up and go to the apostles to hear their teachings. He could not get up and go to them to receive help. He was completely dependent on them coming to him. And we were in the same condition in our sin. We could not get up and bring ourselves to God. We were completely in need of God coming to us and bringing his salvation to us, which is exactly what he did when he came to this earth and he was born uh, in the manger. And he uh, live the life of a man and through the power of the Holy Spirit and through the presentation and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God brings the good news of Jesus Christ to each one of us from wherever we were at. And he brought the good news of Jesus to us and preached to us in our position of need. We didn't even know what to ask. This man didn't know what to ask. He was just asking for money. He wasn't asking for salvation. He wasn't asking for healing. He was asking for money for his daily needs. How many times do people come to the church asking for money? Well, they ask because they have need, really um, real needs. They're struggling to pay their bills. They're struggling to put food on their tables. They're struggling with life issues. Maybe some of it's self-inflicted because of their sinful lifestyles and they're in a bad place because of choices that they've made. But the reality is we're all, we're all the result of self-inflicted sinful sinful disobedience to God. That's all of our condition. We have brought our sinful condition upon ourselves. And people come and they're looking, for, they don't know to ask for salvation. But the beauty of this is that God sees our deepest need. He sees past just our need for bread and for food on the table or for physical healing. And he provides a healing that is much more eternal than that. And when people come to us now asking the exact same things, we might be able to help with food or with clothing or with some physical need. But ultimately, our desire should see their deepest need and their need for salvation. And we should provide it in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And that's what's taking place here. We're seeing this beautiful illustration of this man who's incapable of helping himself being helped by God. Now, he is physically healed, but I think as we continue to read, there's more than a physical healing that takes place in the heart of this man. There is a rejoicing that comes and a praise of God that comes as a result of his healing. That's an indication of a changed heart. This man was healed not just in his legs, but also by faith that God created in his heart. We'll see that. So Peter called out to get the man's attention, and that's exactly what God does for us. He calls out to our heart, but notice what he says in uh, chapter 3, verse, verse 5. It says, he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, walk. So Peter gave him first the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. He called him the Nazarene because he was reminding them that this is Jesus, the Naz Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Nazarene whom you crucified. By his name, I am calling you to stand up and walk. And so it was the power of Jesus Christ that was being called upon to heal this man. And then he says in verse, it says in verse 7 that seizing him by the right hand, that means seizing means to take hold. He took hold of him by the right hand, which is exactly what God does to our heart. By the power of Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit of God, he seizes our hearts. He takes hold of us and he commands us to be healed and he heals our heart of our sin sickness the same way that he healed this man of his broken and lame legs seizing him by the right hand he raised him up and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened with a leap he stood upright and began to walk and he entered the temple with him walking and leaping and praising god now notice what happened this man immediately was able to to walk and he stood up and he came into the temple with him. You know, that's also something unique is that it would seem as though on a daily basis, uh, his friends or his family members or whoever it was that was carrying him up to the gate of the temple, they laid him there at the gate and he begged for alms while everybody else was passing by him going into the temple. But why were they going into the temple? They were going in to worship God. They were going in to be right with God. They were going in to pray. They were going in for sacrifices or whatever was taking place as they were going through on that day. And he was missing all of it. He couldn't get up and take himself in there. Immediately after he was healed, he got the privilege of walking into the temple with the apostles. What a beautiful gift, I think, that when the Lord heals our heart, he immediately gives us the ability to enter into the Holy of Holies, worthy to stand before the throne of God, where we once were not allowed and incapable of being. We were not allowed to be in the holy presence of God. But now that the Lord Jesus has saved our hearts, we are free to walk ourselves into the throne room of God and, and boldly stand before the throne of God and worship him and seek him in prayer and receive his word. I think that's a beautiful illustration of that. But notice what he did. He was walking and he was leaping and he was praising God. Now he wasn't leaping because he just felt like leaping. He was leaping because he was joyful. The joy of the Lord filled his heart. His heart was filled with amazement because of the power of God on display in his own life. He was 
rescued, he was saved, and the result of that was the praise of God. He was giving praise to the glory of God. Now, I think uh, when we consider this as an illustration of our own hearts being saved, it's also uh, unique to note that a heart that is healed does what it once could not do. We once were not allowed into the holy presence of God. Now we can walk into the holy presence of God. But our hearts are now freed to love God, to praise God, to obey God, to rejoice in God, to hope in God. All of these things that we were incapable of doing before. All of these things that we could not do in our sins. Now we have been freed to walk and to leap and to praise God, so to speak. We can love God, obey God, rejoice in God. Everything that our heart once could not do, we can now do. So in that illustration, we see the healing and the salvation of Jesus. But something I also want to point out is um, the response of amazement and wonder. The response of amazement and wonder. So everybody else that was looking on, they were bearing witness of this really unique miracle. They saw Peter reach out, grab the man, and call out in the name of Jesus Christ and, and, and pull him up, and the man's feet were strengthened. And, and Peter wasn't just holding him up, saying, look, God healed him. He let him go, and the man jumped up and down and went running around and went into the temple. He was never been able to go before. So they were witnessing this, and they were, they were struck with awe, and they were struck with amazement. So the question is, was that a good response of the people? Let's read these verses, starting in verse 9. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. They were like, that's the guy that we pass by every time we go into the temple. That's the guy. He's healed. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And look at verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter, so he was hanging close to Peter and John. He was following them. He wanted to hear anything else that they had to say. Um, he witnessed the power of God use them to save his life. And so he was following them. But notice this is while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. All these people now crowd was gathering around because they were hearing about it. The rumors were going out. People witnessed it. They saw it. Amazement strikes them. And uh, so we could say, you know what? We should be uh, struck with amazement when we see these kind of things happen. But what's interesting was it seems as though their, their amazement and their wonder was misplaced. They were amazed and they were in wonder at the power of Peter. And they thought Peter was the miracle worker. Peter said in verse 12, when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? That word piety means godliness. As if by our own power or our own good godly character and obedience to the Lord, we had the ability to heal this man. So the question is, is that a good thing that they, that they were amazed and they were filled with wonder? I think it was a good thing, but the amazement and the wonder that we're supposed to have when we see God work should be directed at the one who actually did the work. And I think what Peter is pointing out is that it wasn't 
Peter or John that was doing the work, and it wasn't the, the beggar who was doing the work. It was God himself. Notice what, um, notice what Peter responded by saying. Um, he describes Jesus in verse 13 through 15 by kind of telling the history of Jesus. And then he explains in verse 16, it's on the basis of faith in his name. It is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. But let's look at those verses, verse 13 through 16, because he's reminding them just exactly which name had the power to save this man. Not Peter's name and not the beggar's name. Because it could be important to ask sometimes when we see a miraculous thing or when we see the goodness of God poured out. Or when we see uh, someone give something sacrificially or out of act of benevolence, it's, we often get, are captured by the person that gave it to us. And we wonder about the depth of their faith to be able to do something like that. The ability for them to be part of such a great miracle. Sometimes I wonder that when you see these, uh, when you see preachers who stand and preach a simple gospel and hundreds of people get saved. You think that person must have so much faith that God would use them in that way. We wonder maybe even about the beggar and say maybe the beggar had a unique faith that God noticed and rewarded by healing him, which makes us ask the question, you know, if I had enough faith, could I heal people? If I had enough faith, could I be healed? And we begin to measure our faith according to what we see. But what Peter is showing here is that it wasn't really about the measure of faith that these people, it wasn't about the beggar's faith, and it wasn't really about Peter's faith that this man was healed. This is what he says in verse 13, The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. So he's, he's talking to the Jews, anybody who might have known Jewish a law and history, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So he's calling upon, he's identifying the God who created the world, the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of our fathers has glorified his servant. That word servant means son, his son, Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pontius Pilate. So remember, he's, he's been pointing his finger at these people several times in this sermon. He's pointed out the fact that these guys were responsible for crucifying this Jesus of Nazareth, the one that has the power to save, the one that has the power to save you. He's saying, this one you delivered, you disowned in the presence of Pontius Pilate. And when he had decided to release him, but you disowned, you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murder to be granted to you instead. So he says, this holy and righteous son of God, that God sent, you disowned him, and you preferred to see a murderer go free instead of him. And then he says, you put to death the prince of life. And that word prince of life, that word prince means uh, author. He was the author of life. In Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews refers to Jesus as the author of our salvation. He is the one who, who wrote the book on our salvation. He is the one who created life, created our salvation. This creator of our salvation you put to death on the cross but God has also raised him from the dead and that's a fact 
a fact that we are bearing witness to. And that's what Peter says. That happened. We saw the resurrected Jesus. And so he is testifying in a very pointed way. Exactly. He, wanted to, he wanted to make sure that if they, if they were to try to identify by what power this man was healed, exactly by what power this man was healed. It wasn't by Peter's power. It wasn't by the beggar's power. It wasn't by some other random supernatural power. It was by this man, Jesus, who you crucified and who God raised from the dead. That's the power that, raised, that healed this man. And then in verse 16, it says, And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man. That word strengthened is a reference to that man's healing physical and spiritual. It is by the name of Jesus that this man has been healed and saved whom you see now. And the faith which comes through him, Jesus, the faith, the faith which comes through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. So sometimes we gaze in amazement at the person or the people that miraculously or benevolently work in our lives or work in the lives around us. Or we see, um, we see what seems to be miraculous and powerful things that take place through these people. Sometimes, uh, maybe it's not a, uh, what we might define as a miracle. A miracle is something, if you want to get technical, uh, it can be defined as something that um, is outside the laws of nature. Something that couldn't naturally happen can't be explained by the laws of science. And when you see something like that happen, often we make an attempt at explaining it away. Well, there's some logical explanation for how that happened. But we see, especially in biblical history, there are numerous records of miracles, things that are outside the laws of nature that take place. And ultimately, all of those things put on display the glory and the power of God. And he's doing it on purpose. He has established the laws of nature because they make sense to us. Everything is ordered. Everything is logical. Everything um, works together. According, and, and God has orchestrated it like a, like a woven masterpiece. Everything is, is perfect. But sometimes God acts outside of those laws that he created for the purpose of putting on display the fact that he created those laws and he can change them if he so desires. And so miracles take place. But sometimes we see other things like, for instance, um, we say, well, do, do miracles still take place? Maybe they only took place uh, when the apostles were here or the prophets well, I would contend that any time any individual comes to faith in Jesus Christ and is saved from their sins, a miracle has taken place in their heart because that person was dead in their sin and fully incapable of saving themselves. There was no person, no human being, no act of any religion on earth that could save that soul. The only thing that could save that individual would be the Holy Spirit of God moving in that person's heart, and a miracle takes place. Now, I believe that there is a strong potential that God does even work healings in people's lives, even today. But what we do see oftentimes is the power of God on display, and it's important to note in our amazement and in our wonder when we see the glory of God on display that it's not the people that are accomplishing it. These people are simply God's administrators. 
when we see the Holy Spirit of God moving in our hearts to give us grace, to give us goodness, to give us his mercy, to give us his healing, his provision, his help, his comfort, all of those things are given to us by God and aren't, don't come from man. When we see that happen, we recognize that it's God, not the people that it came through. Sometimes we pray. Sometimes we pray for things that we need. Um, my wife and I um, have, on a number of occasions, uh, prayed together over th for things that we desperately needed. Uh, when we're trying to figure things out, we're trying to work things out in life and trying to take care of our family, sometimes we just don't know where it's going to come from, and we, just, uh, we say all we can do is pray about it and wait on the Lord. And we, and we, seek, we seek the peace of God in that as we wait on God. But it's one of the beautiful things that we've seen on so many occasions is that when we've prayed, that a lot of times shortly after that, someone calls us and says, hey, I just felt like you guys might need this. Or they sent us something in the mail. Or we just received a, an anonymous gift. I remember when we lived in Florida, uh, we were struggling a lot um, to pay bills and to just put food on the table. And sometimes we would pray about that, and then that day or the date, the next day, uh, we'd open the door, and there'd be two giant bags of um, homegrown vegetables that somebody just left on the front porch, you know? And we wonder at that. We think, wow, you know, um, and, and look at what God has done. You know, and sometimes we didn't know. It might have been an anonymous thing. And immediately we say, this, the Lord has provided but sometimes it wasn't anonymous. It was a brother or sister in Christ or a family member who came to us and gave us something. We think, man, uh, what faith that they must have had to be able to trust the Lord enough with their own life to give us out of their need and to take care of, to take care of us while they have their own needs. You know, and we think about the goodness of that person and the kindness of that person and the faith of that person. And I think what Peter is showing us is to look beyond the individuals and see the power of God on display as he is taking care of us and providing for us in our needs, which is con a continued illustration of how God continues to provide for our spiritual needs. And it's an assurance on a daily basis that our eternity in Christ is secure. God is reminding us that he's with us and all will be okay. It's comfort. And it's goodness, but it does prevent us from worshiping the givers, the people, or even the men who might stand up and you might see the Lord perform a miracle through someone. And you think, my, that person has a great amount of faith. And it prevents us from putting those people on pedestals and thinking that if we only had enough faith, we could do the same. Or if we only had enough faith, God could heal me and take care of me. And so that's where I want to kind of kind of move to the next part, our response of faith. So we've kind of seen the, the healing and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ illustrated in this man that was, being, that, was, that was healed. We see the response of amazement and wonder that we are supposed to have at the work of Jesus Christ. But we also see a response of faith. Notice in verse 16, it says, And on the basis of faith... In his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect help. So the question is, whose faith was involved here? Was it Peter's faith? 
Was it the beggar's faith? If we had enough faith, could we heal people? If we had enough faith, could we be healed? I think there are, uh, the reason I ask those questions that way is because there are a number of uh, religious organizations, religious movements, um, religious teachings that would attempt to make you believe that if you had enough faith, you could do these things. That if you had, if you got cancer, if you had enough faith and you prayed hard enough and you fasted enough and you were righteous and godly enough, then God could heal you of that cancer. But what that leads you to believe if God chooses not to heal you of that cancer is that you must not have had enough faith. And it leads you to believe that everybody else around you who is praying for you must not have had enough faith either. And so then what we wind up with is a faithless hope. We, we wind up with hopelessness. Because the reality is, when you look at this story, if we're honest, there's a lot of people there. And that lame beggar was probably not the only sick person in the room. In this instance, it would seem that God led Peter and John to that man for a reason. It wasn't just a Peter saying, hey, I feel like it's, it'd be good to put somebody on display and heal somebody right now. I think that God spoke to the heart of Peter and John as, uh, as God's apostles, and he sent them to this man and, and moved in the heart of Peter to speak to that man and to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. And, and again, I'd like to point out, too, when the name of Jesus Christ uh, is, is a way of symbolizing the person and the power of Jesus Christ. He is the Son of God, and he has the power to save. So when we say calling upon the name of Jesus, we're talking about calling upon Jesus as the Son of God who was sent by God to save the world and has the authority and the power to save the world. That's what it means to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. It's not like waving a magic wand or saying a magic, um, a magic word, you know, like uh, a spell, you know, in the name of Jesus Christ, by the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works. All right. Um, it is it is by faith, believing that Jesus is who he says he is, did what he said he did and will do what he says he will do and has the power to do all of that. That is what it means to call upon the name of Jesus Christ. It's faith. It's belief. It's not a magic word. So he says um, on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man so God chose to heal this man, uh, and not necessarily everybody else who was there, but God chose to heal this man for a reason. God put him on display, and God used him to display the power of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit prompted Peter to act, uh, and then God gave this man the ability to believe and to have faith in him, and, and God used that faith to save this man. Scripture says that we are saved by grace through faith. Grace is the gift of God. It comes from God. And this man was healed by the grace of God, but it was through his faith in Jesus Christ. So we, we are called to have a response of faith in this story, but this is not a formula for how to perform miracles. We could read the story and think, well, maybe this is a formula for how to perform miracles. But I don't think that's based on the context based on the fact that this is a really large sermon from God on uh, calling people to repentance and calling people to be saved. He's telling people that, that we need 
to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ unto salvation. And based on the power that we see on display in this man that was healed, and based on the power of Jesus Christ in his own resurrection, Jesus has the power to also heal and save our hearts. And so the call is not to have faith so that you can be healed of your physical sicknesses. The call is to have faith in Jesus Christ so that you can be healed of your sins. And scripture does not promise that if we have faith in Jesus Christ, we'll all be healed of our physical sicknesses. But he does promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. There is a promise that all of us who would believe in him by faith and call upon the name of Jesus Christ will be saved. That's a promise. And I believe that's the gospel. That's the gospel. And a gospel that misses the promise of saving everyone who would believe and focuses only on healing people of their physical sicknesses is a false gospel. It missed the point. They, missed, they, they hung on the illustration and missed the message. So my challenge this morning as we kind of walk through this, first of all, I think just kind of see where we're at as believers. Um, as believers, first of all, I think we recognize that we have been healed of our sickness of sin. And as a result, we should be captured with wonder and amazement at the work that Christ has accomplished in our heart. And there were things that our heart could not do when we were dead in our sins. Now we are free to do. Our heart, you know, that man could not walk. Now he can walk. Our hearts were dead. We could not obey, but now we can obey. We could not love God, but now we can love God. We could not worship or praise God, but now we can worship and praise God. We could not love others, but now we can love others. Our hearts are now saved and transformed by the power of Jesus Christ, and we're free to walk in that. And so as believers, we should. It would be sad if that man was healed, if, if, uh, the, if the power of Jesus Christ strengthened his ankles and his feet and he was able to stand and jump and leap, if he went back and laid down at the gate and continued to beg for alms, all the while having strong legs. That would be, um, at, at first it was pitiful. He was in a pitiful condition. But if he were to go back and lay down after having been strengthened, that would be pathetic. Right. And I think that's the story of believers who continue in sin and walking in the flesh now that we have been forgiven of our sins and free to walk in righteousness. We lived in a pitiful state. God had pity on us and he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to bring healing and life to us for us to continue in that now is just pathetic. And so the Lord calls us to live righteously and to live in holiness. So that's not to make us feel bad. But that's just to help us to see the joy of this, that we are free and we should be walking and leaping and praising God for our salvation. And if you want to physically walk and leap and praise the Lord, I think there's freedom to do that as well. So sometimes I think the Lord moves us to that. And then I would just like to encourage you to be amazed and wonder at the, um, at the work of God when you see it. When you see God's work, recognize that it's God that's doing the work. Right? Don't, don't see people. Uh, one of the blessings that, uh, that I've enjoyed, there, there are some people that have been very generous to me, and I want to express an abundance of gratitude to those people because I am extremely grateful every time 
somebody gives something to me or helps me out. And one of the blessings I receive is sometimes those people look me in the eye and they say, it was not me, it was God. And, um, and, and I'm grateful for that because it's a reminder to me that God's taking care of me. God's taking care of me. And I'm reminded of that too sometimes when, you know, some of those people I say they call the church and they ask for help. You know, and sometimes those are kind of a benevolence case where we have the option. You guys are helping those people sometimes by the offerings that you give. Um, and we try to be really careful about how we do that. But sometimes those people, when we feel led to help them in their need, one of the messages that I want to communicate is that, hey, listen, um, I just want you to know that this church did not help you. I did not help you. You're struggling. You have a need in your life. You're feeling desperate. And this is God saying that he is here and he heard your cry and he's showing you mercy. And it was an opportunity for me to share the gospel through that by saying, it's not me, but God is here. He heard your cry and he's helping you. And then be able to share hope in Jesus Christ and hope that they'll cry to him for salvation and not keep coming to me for salvation. Right? You need Jesus more than you need the food that I can provide. So as believers, I think that's a good thing to remember as we see God at work and as God uses us to demonstrate his goodness in this world. Um, and then uh, I would encourage you also to remember that uh, it is faith in Jesus Christ that has saved you and God calls us to continue in that faith. Um, I'd like to close by just kind of reminding us too of this What's the purpose? What was the purpose of this, this miracle? Um, it could simply have been to bless and save the beggar. And I think that would have been sufficient. And that would have been okay. Now, I believe there was more to it. God was using it for a lot more than that. But God cares about individuals. And I believe God, God certainly cared about that man. And it was to out of God's compassion and out of God's love and God, of God's care, he healed that man. God cares about individuals. And I think it's good for us to remember that when we pray. It's okay to pray and ask God to heal us. We know he can. We know he might not. But we also know that he can. And so we should. And we know that he cares and he does have compassion. And, some, and maybe God will heal us. I think it's okay to pray for healing for our, our own issues, physical issues in life, and it's okay to pray for the healing of those around us. But we just need to remember that if anybody's going to be healed, it's not going to be because I have great faith. It's not going to be because you have great faith. It's going to be because God chose to move by his grace. And he does sometimes. And he does sometimes. But it also helps us to be at peace when he chooses not to, because if God chooses not to, it must mean that he has a reason. And God's taking us through that all the more. The other reason I think that God allowed this to happen or orchestrated this was to attest to the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, which we've seen, and also to call the people to repentance, seeing the power of God's motivated repentance. And we're coming to this verse next, next week, but in verse 19, Peter says, Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come. He preached all this after seeing this miracle and called people to repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And that's the message. If you're struggling in your heart, if you know that you are in disobedience to God, 
and you know that you're not in right relationship with God, you're in rebellion with God, my plea for you uh, this morning is to cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Scripture says he will save you. Turn away from your sins. Turn and follow Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to this week's Walk Through the Bible with Hope Fellowship. I leave you with these words from Numbers 6, 24-26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace.